It has been a great day of worship so far. I appreciate very much what has been said. I appreciate the uh, communion message that was shared. Kendall, I appreciate uh, uh, you giving us a glimpse of your heart there. That was encouraging, wasn't it? And uh, I don't know, as I was sitting there, as we were taking communion together, I just felt impressed to open up with a psalm. You don't have to turn there. You can if you'd like, but it's uh, Psalm 147. It's what's uh, in a, a group of psalms called the Final Hallel. It is sort of the crescendo of the book of Psalms. And as we sat and worshiped and sang and communed together, I just, just felt an overwhelming need to, to read a psalm like this. And it says, Hallelujah, my soul, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground, and on that day he plans, on that day his plans die. Happy is the one whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects foreigners. And He helps the fatherless and the widow, but He frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, reigns for all generations. Hallelujah. I just feel like that's a, a fitting psalm for the spirit that is in here today. Uh, we've had a great week. Uh, last Sunday, Tim and Sharon were baptized into Jesus. So let's praise God for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're anticipating more and more good things today. And so if you have your Bible, open to, uh, to Luke 14. Luke 14 and 15. And we're going to be in 15 for about three seconds, and then we're going to go backwards into 14, and you'll understand why in, uh, in just a minute. For those of you that are, are, are visiting with us, we're in the middle of a sermon series that is called Give Me Jesus. And the reason for this series is simply this, is that a lot of times we can get so enamored with the miracles, with the healings, with the, the power of Jesus, that we forget to look at His teachings. You know, and that's what happened in the book of John. The people were following after Jesus, wanting miracles, wanting to be fed, wanting all of these great things. And then when He began to teach them, they said this teaching is too hard, and it said a large number of His disciples abandoned Him at that moment. And it's that story right there in Luke chapter 6 that drives me and, and, and gives me a passion for this kind of series because while we are completely amazed at the power of Jesus, and we are, are we not? We are. While we are completely amazed at the power of Jesus and at His majesty and His glory and all of the great and wonderful things that He does, we cannot, we cannot make the mistake of being the people that are only following Jesus in hopes of seeing another mirror. Because He's given us more 
He's given us instructions on, on how we are to, to live His life, to live our lives after Him. And as we've seen over the last three weeks, following Jesus is not an easy thing. He raises the bar for us. He sets a, a new standard that we might have once lived by, and He takes it and He raises it up. And He says, if you're going to follow Me, this is what it's going to be about. It's going to be about loving your neighbors. It's going to be about loving your enemies. It's going to be about praying for people that you don't get along with and would count as your enemies. It's going to be about denying yourself and taking up your cross and following after me. That's not an easy life, is it? That's not an altogether easy life. And along the way, along the way, he's challenging us to examine where we are in our faith. Are we like the, the, the seeds and the soil that we talked about last week? Are we the, the, the hard soil that represents that hard heart that the seed cannot penetrate, it can't make any, any headway in? Or are we like the, the second soil that is filled up with rocks and it can put down some roots, but it can't go deep because of the, uh, the limestone layer underneath, and so it can only go so far and it shoots up but when the pressure and the heat come down on it, it withers away. That's the, that's the heart. That's more like a, an emotional faith. It's a shallow faith that when the world hits and hits hard can cause you to wither. And Jeffrey alluded to that as he was leading us into communion about the evil that is in the world. And if we don't have a, a deep-rooted faith like Kendall just shared about, then we're going to wither and we'll, we'll dry up just like that that soil that seed planted in the in, in the rocks or are we like the the distracted heart it's the seed that was planted in the soil that had good a good root system it was able to to penetrate the earth and set a good root system but there's all these other weeds and grasses and wildflowers and all of these other things that grow up and choke it out that's all of the distractions of the world that's the heart that is not singularly focused on Jesus. That is the one that is, just like we said last week, you know, Jesus and, and church and, and studying God's Word, those are all good and wonderful things, but it's just a, another good and wonderful thing in a long line of good and wonderful things. They don't take precedent over anything. That's what the distracted heart is. Or are we like the, the good soil, the prepared soil that is pliable and, and ready to receive that seed and, and receive God's Word? That's the kind of people that we want to be, yes or no? That's what we want to be. We want to be that prepared soil. And the way that we do that, and the way that we make sure that we stay that way, is by simply saying, just give me Jesus. Give me His teaching. Show me what, what He has to say. Let him speak a word into me about what it means to, to be a Christian in 2015 so that I might take up my cross and, and follow after him. Well, for the next couple of weeks, it might take us three, I'm not sure yet, but for the next few weeks, we're going to look at five different parables of Jesus that we see in, in chapter uh, 14 and 15 of of Luke, and there's some really good things. We talked about parables last week. We said they were kind of a, a spiritual test 
They invite us to deeper faith. They invite us to ask questions. It's for those who are, are seeking. If you're seeking and you read the parables of Jesus, you realize there, there's something more to, to what he's saying. If you're not seeking or if you're hard-hearted to what Jesus says, then it's just another, it's just another story. Uh, but Earl Lavender, he says this. He says, one of the great lessons we can learn from Jesus is how to recognize teachable moments. Well, teachable moments are important, are they not? I can think of the, the best lessons I learned in life were usually after I'd done something dumb. And again, I'm glad you can laugh at my pain. But the best lessons I learned in life was usually after I had failed catastrophically at something, and my mom or my dad would say, son, well, let's talk about this. What could you have done? And especially when they saw it in the moment, and they let it happen. But they said, let me teach you about this. Let me show you this. Let me show you what you could have done, a different way of, of thinking about that. And that's what, what, what Jesus was a master at. As he interacted with these people, as he came into contact with them, he would recognize when, when something was going wrong or something was not right, and he would use, he would capitalize on a teachable moment. And that's one of the great lessons that we can learn from him. Earl Lavender goes on to say, he often found himself in situations that provided a wonderful example, allowing him to expound on the true nature of, of God's kingdom. And that's what, that's what these parables are about. They're designed to teach us and instruct us about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God that if, if you have named the name of Jesus and you've been baptized into that faith, you are a part of that kingdom. Which means that not only are you a, a child of God, not only are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you're also a participant in the kingdom of heaven and advancing its borders, yes or no? That's what our charge is, to advance the kingdom of heaven, advance its borders. Because evil is advancing its borders all the time as well, right? All the time, it is advancing its borders. Okay, And as Jesus says in other places, there is no neutral ground. You can't just sit on the fence. It's basically you're all with Jesus or you're all with the kingdom of Satan. There is no one or the other. Or there is no sitting on the fence. There's no, there's no gray area. By choosing not to be with Jesus, by default, you end up choosing to be associated with Satan and his, his evil schemes. So we say, give me Jesus, right? Give me Jesus. That's, that's what we need. That's what this series, that's what this series is about. So we can know, so we can determine and, and, and decipher and discern message and word and heart of Jesus Christ. And so, you look at Luke 15, and I love Luke 15, you know that, you know this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I say it all the time, of course I say that about a lot, but this one's my, my absolute favorite. This one's my absolute favorite, and you've heard me say that too is my absolute favorite. I love the parables that are in Luke 15. And we're not going to look at any of them today. 
we're going to look at kind of the, the setup for what causes him to go into these parables, and then we're going to go backwards. So look at verse 1 of Luke 15. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. That's, that's, that's the really, really scumbaggy people of Jesus' day. Okay, all the tax collectors and sinners. Okay, now we know what sinners are, right? If you know what a sinner is, raise your hand. If you don't, somebody point to them because you are one. Just let them know lovingly. Lovingly. We're all sinners. Okay, we're all sinners. But it's always funny in Scripture when the writers point out the, the sinners and tax collectors. Like the tax collector is their own breed of sinner. Okay, I mean, they're like a, a special designated category. And, and realistically, for good reason. It's not that they were any worse than, than the actual sinners, but, you, you know, we've talked about this before. In the eyes of the Jews, they were worse than anybody because they're traitors. They are traitors to their own people. They work for Rome, and they tax their own people to give the money to Rome. And Rome, by the way, doesn't pay them for it, so they add more tax as much as they want, and you have to pay that tax, or guess what? They're going to turn you into a Roman. And by turn you into a Roman, I don't mean swish, you're a Roman. I mean, they're going to turn you in, and you are going to be facing some stiff penalties. Okay? And so you had to pay this. And so they hated these people. Okay? And so... The reason why Luke and these other guys give us this, this little detail is because they want us to recognize that it is the lowest of the low who are coming to Jesus. And it is the lowest of the low who are welcomed by Jesus. But they're not the only ones that are welcomed by Jesus. This whole this whole chapter that we're going to talk about today in 14 is about an invitation. Jesus is inviting people. He's invited to something. But it says all the, the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to, to listen to Him and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining this man welcomes sinners and he eats with They're offended by what Jesus is doing. They're offended that He is welcoming these kinds of people. They are offended that He is not, that he's not surrounding Himself with people like themselves. Does that make sense? But instead, He's drawing these kinds of people to Him. And so what He does in 15 is He tells three stories. He talks about a, a, a lost sheep. He talks about a lost coin. He talks about a lost son. Really, he talks about two lost sons. And the point we're supposed to grasp is not that that chapter is about people who are, being, who are lost. It's about people who have no concern for people that are lost. That's what that chapter is about. And that's where we're going to be in the next week, maybe the next two weeks but you jump back into 14 and Jesus has already had a situation like this come up 
he has been invited to a, ta- uh, to a Pharisee's house. And not only that, it says, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, it says, on the Sabbath, when he went to eat at the house of, the, of one of the leading Pharisees. It says they were watching him closely. And of course, there's a, there's a healing story that, that takes place there. And Jesus does some teaching on that. And then he begins to teach on humility. And then he begins to teach about this, this large banquet. And he begins to... He begins to call into question what they're doing. Have you ever thrown a, a party or planned an event? You put a lot of time and effort into it and nobody showed up? You ever done that? What's that like? Makes you feel really good, doesn't it? Well, people like me. You know, no, you feel like the biggest loser ever, okay? Uh, and you know what, the, it, is, it is not a pleasant thing to put all this time and effort and spend all this money. And, you know, you're expecting people to come and you're excited and you send out the invitation and nobody shows up. God ever feels that way. Because we're all invited. And sometimes we don't accept the invitation. You know what I'm saying? I took this this passage of Scripture and I did what we did on Wednesday night. I, I dropped it in a word cloud. And this is what comes up. What word stands out more than anything in that, in that word cloud? Invited. I want to say uh, there's seven or eight times that it uses the word invited, and there's about four or five more times that it uses the word invite. And I think, that's, I think we're supposed to grasp that when... When these gospel writers are are writing and you see a word that comes up over and over and over and over again, they're trying to communicate something to us. There's something there that they they want us to, to grasp. And so Jesus, he's been invited. He's been invited to the house of the Pharisee. A guy's come in who's not supposed to be there. Jesus healed him. They don't like it. And then Jesus takes that opportunity, that teachable moment, Give them a couple of parables. And it says that in verse 7, he says, He told a parable, notice the phrase, to those who were what? Invited. To those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the best places for themselves. When you're invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't recline at the best place because a more distinguished person than you may arrive that has been invited by your host, then the one who invited both of you may come and say, hey, give your place to this man, and then in humiliation, you will proceed to take the lowest place. Now that would be embarrassing, would it not? That ever happened to you? You go and you sit down, man, this looks like a great spot. Go and sit down, somebody comes to you, uh, excuse me, uh, we need you to move. You ever had that happen? You ever had that happen? Who's ever had that happen to him in church? I have, I've seen it happen, okay? This church that I preached for years ago, God bless her. 
I don't know if sweet is the right word, but I'm going to use sweet. This sweet old lady. She comes up to her spot where sits a visitor, a first-time visitor. Now, you know what it is. You know what visitors do. They sit in seats they don't know that are assigned because they're not supposed to be assigned, right? And so visitors, guess what? Stay where you are. Those are your seats. They're yours, and we're glad you have them. Don't move. Don't move for anybody. That's your seat. That's your seat. But this lady, she went right up to this first-time visitor and looked right at her and said, you're in my seat. I need you to move. And she moved. I, you know, I, I could not. Could not, I couldn't get over there fast enough. And then I couldn't apologize more because it was completely embarrassing. Okay? But imagine, you choose to sit where you're not supposed to and then somebody comes and says, you can't sit here because it's reserved for somebody else. Okay? This is what Jesus is, is talking about here. He's trying to get them, you know what he's really trying to say? is, Look, you guys need to get off your high horse. That's what he's saying to these guys. Remember, what's he talking about? He's trying to get them to grasp the concept that they don't have a kingdom vision for the lost. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what next week's going to be about, and maybe even the week after that. That's what we're going to be talking about. And so, in verse 16, Jesus gives a, a kind of a piece of weird advice when he says, but when you are, and there's the word again, invited, go and recline in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he'll say to you, friend, Move up higher, and you will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now then, Jesus is not giving advice on how to make yourself more noticed. Okay? That's not what he's trying to do right here. He's saying, you really want to get the good spot? Go to the bad spot. That's not what he's saying. Okay? He's using what he uses all the time. He's using hyperbole. Okay? The point we're trying, he's trying to make is, is right there in verse 11. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Not necessarily in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God. Okay, that's what, what, what he's looking for, and that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to have a, a, a humble and, and contrite heart and spirit. That's what he wants from all of us. And he, verse 12, he also said to the one who had invited him, when you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and you would be repaid. He's not saying that those things are bad, but again, he's trying to take us somewhere. He's trying to show us something. And he says, on the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blame, blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of, of the righteous. He's not saying that it's wrong to do those things. Okay, but think of it like this. It is easy, it's easy to act like a Christian around a big group of Christians, right? Easy, okay? And, you know, we can go away, we can go to a conference or whatever, we get on fire for our faith and really think we're, you know, we're standing up for the faith, but we're really not. We're just standing up in support of the faith. 
in what we believe. Where we really stand up for the faith is when we do things outside of that, away from the comfort zone and the protection of a large group of people. Okay? What Jesus is trying to, to, to grasp here is he's saying, well, you, you know the idea, the idea of reciprocity, right? You know what reciprocity is, right? I smile, you smile back. Some of you are not reciprocating. Okay? But that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, you know, you, you can do that, and that'll be fine, that's good. You can throw a, a party for all your rich friends and neighbors, and they'll, you know, they're going to invite you back. They're going to reciprocate because they can. They're going to pay you back because they can. But instead, you want to do real kingdom work? Okay, now pay attention because it's got hard every week, and here's where it's getting hard, right here, right here. You want to do real kingdom work? On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind. You'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. If we do things to, what is it, quid pro quo? Is that what that is? That reciprocity? If that's the reason why we do it, like uh, I'll, I'll scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. If that's why we do things, we're missing the point. It's not about that. Service in the kingdom of God and, and, and cross-bearing is about doing for those who can't. It's about taking care of those who, who need our care and our help because they can't get it themselves. That's what Jesus is, is, is calling us to. Well, then he tells a, another parable. Tells another parable in verse 15. He says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things he said to him the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed then he told them a man gave a large banquet and he invited many at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who were invited come because everything is now ready but without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I just got married, therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house of the servant said, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, and the lame. You see, those people were invited. But they missed out. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like soil number three that we talked about last week? The distracted heart. Got all this stuff. Hey, Jesus is great. I love you, Jesus. But I got all these other things I got to do first. Please excuse me. The owner says, well, okay, well, if they're not interested in coming, let's go find people who are interested in being here. 
And you go find those who are lame and blind and poor and maimed. And let's bring them in here. Why to bring something else to mind that Jesus said? It's not the well who need a doctor. It's the sick. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the highways and the lanes. Oh, now that's, that's important right there. Go out into the highways and the lanes. We, if the church is going to continue to exist in the 21st century, we cannot sit here and say, hey, we're the church, come find us. We have to go out. We have to go. We cannot, uh, and there was a day when you could, you know, the church was the church, and you could open the doors and people would come. That day is gone. Okay, that day realistically never should have arrived because this word is older than that. Okay, the word has always been go. But we want to make it come. Come see us. We, don't, we won't go to you. You come to us. That, it, it can't be that way. That's backwards. Kingdom of God is go. Go to the highways, to the byways, and to the lanes. And then make them come in so that my house will be filled. For I tell you, not one of those who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Now then, there, there's, there's more to this than just the, the modern practical application that we're looking at here. Jesus is, is talking to Israel, to, to His people, to the Jews. Okay? The Jews are the vine... They are supposed to be the light. They are supposed to be the ones who lead all other nations, all other Gentiles, all of us. They were supposed to be the ones to point people to Jesus, to point people to God, but they didn't because they couldn't get past their own hang-ups over who Jesus was. They didn't recognize Him as the Messiah. They didn't recognize Him as Lord. The Pharisees were constantly butting heads with him because they could not recognize who he was. You remember at the end of the story when Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem and it says that he wept over the city? Do you remember that? Do you remember why he said, or, or why Luke told us he wept? He says, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I was here and you didn't see me. You look and you look, yet you don't see. You listen and you listen, yet you don't perceive. Because they thought it was all about them. And what Jesus is saying is, look, you're going to miss out if you don't recognize who I am and what, what I am, am offering. And 
And so, you know, we have to ask ourselves, who are, who are we? What's our, our point of view? That's always a good question to, to ask when you encounter Scripture. Who am I? What point of view do I most relate to? And as we get into to Luke 15, especially the last portion of Luke 15, that'll be a very important question that we're going to ask uh, as we consider the point of view. Are we, do we live from the point of view of the younger son or do we live from the point of view of the older son? You know, Or are we doing it the right way and are we having the point of view of God who loves and, and welcomes both? That's what we have to figure out. And I think the answer for us here is, you know, are, are, we the, are we the invitors? Well, in some way, we are. We have to go and we have to bring people in, but in, really we're not. We are, we are the people who have been invited to the table. Jesus, he, he takes a table and instead of seating uh, importance, he says, forget all of that. Everybody come and gather around my table. But not everybody does. We have to make sure I mean if we are going to be the people of Jesus we have to scoot up to the table because that's where that's where he's he's inviting us to and it's as we join him in the table we connect with him we learn from him we're able to take on his yoke and the yoke simply means his, his teaching. Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me, Jesus is offering an invitation, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you what? Rest. All of you, take my yoke, my teaching, take my teachings upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke, my teaching is easy, my burden is, is light. The Pharisees were trying to, to weigh this yoke on these people that they could not handle. They couldn't get to God. It was difficult. Jesus is saying, no, it's not about, not, not, not getting here should not be difficult. Bring them in. We're all invited around the table. It doesn't matter who we are, and somebody said it earlier. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we're in the middle of. Jesus has already died for you and paid for that sin. His invitation is come. And what we do is we respond. We respond by saying, give me Jesus. Jesus says, okay, here's my teaching. Here's my way of life. Getting to me is easy. Come on. 
following is going to be a little tougher because you're going to have to take up a cross and you're going to have to follow me. But in the end, there is a crown of righteousness that awaits you. So it comes down to a decision. Do we say, give me the world, give me my distractions, give me all the other stuff that I got going on? Or do we say, give me Jesus? Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. A house divided against itself will not stand. Give me Jesus. And so that's the question we ask ourselves. What do we want? Do we want the distractions of the world or do we simply want Jesus in the life that, that he has to offer. He offers that new life. He offers that new hope. Hope. I love what he said about hope. Because hope is what pulls us through the dark times. Hope that there is something better than what's here. That's what, what hope does for us. But without Jesus, you cannot have hope. But through Jesus, you can. And so whatever's going on in your life, if you're struggling with something, if you've got a sin that you're dealing with, confess it. Repent. Come back. Say, give me Jesus. Jesus, I'm coming. I've seen the invitation, and I'm not, I'm not rejecting it. I'm accepting the invitation. never accepted it ever and maybe it's time that you do that today and Jesus invites you just as you are right where you are he will meet you and he will cleanse you he will give you new life you'll be filled with his spirit by you know, when you say give me Jesus you're saying Jesus is Lord when you say Jesus is Lord you're aligning yourself with him and when you say Jesus is Lord and you're buried with him in baptism all of that stuff goes away and you're given new life so is it give me the world and all its troubles or is it give me Jesus we can help you, if we can pray for you, if we can baptize you in the name of Jesus this day. Won't you come while we stand and sing just as I am?